2: this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: whether you seek adventure search
2: for answers break down barriers or see the world for what it can be you're just what we're looking for cia is searching for women of all skill sets to join the directorate of operations and help protect our nation visit cia.gov careers
3: Mind it is Friday, and uh, myself, Laura. I'm joined by Liam from Celtic Down Under. How are you doing, Liam?
4: Good. Uh, you know, I know what your I know what your viewers are probably all thinking. Oh God, Henry Cavill's really let himself go. Eh? <laughs>
3: I saw absolutely no difference personally, but um. Oh, but yeah. thank you. Uh, Let's about that the better. I think we've spoken. You said before we went on the show that you've spoken to me more than you've spoken to your wife today, but we'll not we'll not talk about that. <laughs> um, so
4: what happens on Axon stays on Axon. Anyway.
3: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um. Lots to lots to discuss today, uh, not least the um, the Celtic. Celtic Christmas advert which has become in my mind anyway a staple of British or Scottish culture I should say, larger at this point than the John Lewis advert, would you agree?
4: Uh, I definitely await it with greater anticipation put it that way.
3: Put it that way we'll we'll, we'll put it that way. If you've not seen it uh, it went live on the Celtic YouTube channel just about 20 minutes ago Um, what's your thoughts on it? Break it down for us, give us an analysis what's your favourite bits? Um
4: well, first of all, I've got to be careful because you know there is that rule that every time you mention Christmas before December, Santa executes an elf. So I don't Oof. want to be responsible for is any, any children. For any
3: children watching, I can confirm that is absolutely
4: not true. <laughs> okay. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's 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 lovely. It's just the the thing is being being away from Scotland for as long as I have been living in Japan. You know, well, living in Asia since two thousand six. Um, give or take a couple of years in Hong Kong as well Um, it was a very nostalgic tour of Glasgow you know, you see like the there's a flyby of the Barrowlands of the the Duke of Wellington statue with the cone on his head, green and white of course Um, and it was just really, it was really kind of hitting all the right notes and I'm like I need to go to those places when I'm back in town next month you know yeah,
3: yeah (laughs) Here's here's my ignorance, showing What's the weather like in Japan at Christmas time? Do you get snow or Do you get what's it like? Well, um,
4: it really depends on where you are in Japan. I right, mean, okay. like down south in Okinawa, that is like that's like Hawaii. That that that's that's never cold. Right. Um, but where I am in Nagano, which is pretty much smack bang in the middle of Japan, about an hour hour and a half north of Tokyo, um, it's uh it's very cold in winter. Um, although it gets colder in January here, whereas the coldest time in Scotland's usually December, isn't it? Hmm. So the, the seasons are a wee bit out of sync, but January and February here are absolutely Baltic. Um,
3: I mean, it would I mean, make it, me feel at home if I was there. That's, that's the only thing I can uh, say.
4: I mean, right now it's half nine and it's... Uh, let me just check my wee watch here. It is currently sitting at uh, seven degrees. Ouch. So, Ouch. Uh, I mean, why I've got the sweatshirt on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: anyway, but less uh, less of the weather updates and let's get on to the more important things. The first thing I want to say is, if you haven't seen the the advert, then definitely go and watch it. But um, I have to commend Celtic for um, really sticking to the core values of the club with this this um, Christmas campaign and share the magic. Where if you go online to the Celtic Superstore, as I'm sure many of you are going to do it anyway for this Christmas. Um, you can buy items off what's called Walfred's Wishlist and that will make a contribution to the Celtic FC Foundation um, which will help uh, people in the community who are less fortunate this Christmas um, as it's going to be a difficult time I'm sure. Um, and I would also like to extend a very personal thank you to um, our Captain Callum McGregor who has advised Celtic to make a donation on his behalf um, from the takings for his book um, The Making of a Celtic Captain. Um he is making a donation, obviously, to the Celtic Foundation, but also to a cause that's very close to my heart, very close to many of the hearts of the people watching, which is the Glasgow Children's Hospital um, charity. Um, I guess Paul John has very kindly offered me this this platform to say thank you to to Callum on behalf of everybody at Axom and from myself personally. It's a, It's a cause that I think... So often goes unnoticed. Um, many of the people in the chat, myself included, have been directly affected by the work that goes on at that hospital. Many have family members and friends who would not be here without the work of that hospital. And although it's nice to donate to them at any time, particularly at this time of year when there are going to be children uh, away from their families in hospital over over what should be a happy and joyous time for everybody, um, it makes so much of a difference to their lives that you can uh, donate and give them treatments, give them extras, um, give them resources to make their stay in hospital not only successful in terms of treatment, but much more pleasant uh, for for children and their families. So thank you very much, Callum. Um, Liam, I'm sure you you echo the sentiments.
4: Absolutely, yep. Um, Fantastic charity. And uh, I think especially in the current shall we say social political climate and what's happened in the world in the last couple of years i think any hospital charity in general needs as much support as it can get right now because the things that our doctors nurses and other medical staff have been through to keep us all safe in the last couple of years is uh is quite incredible and uh you know they deserve every single bit of support that we can give them
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Feed the Bear says, Laura, where's the link to donate? If you go onto the Celtic website, um, the link to the Walfred, uh, wish list is on the website, as well as links to um, buy Callum's book. I believe the donation to, to the Celtic Foundation and to to the Children's Hospital is only contributed through sales directly through Celtic. So if you are going to buy those items, please make sure to do it through the club uh, to to make sure that those um those funds are raised for the appropriate um sources um with that said and i hope everybody uh, don't doesn't think we've started on too much of a downer we will um <laughs> we will crack on and i've got a little bit of fun for you Liam uh, Go on. this this week so obviously we've got the world cup starting on sunday um everybody might have seen a uh, During the Friday bulletins, when I've presented in the summer, I like to do a feature called Guess the Celt, um, which is, well, it started as a way to kind of fill up a bit of time when there wasn't much news going on, but actually it turned into like quite a, a fun wee feature. So what I thought I would do is put a little bit of a twist on it during the World Cup and I would do a Guess the Celt, but regarding players who've actually played for Celtic and at the World Cup. Now, a couple of provisos with this doesn't have to be a current player. And the player doesn't have to have played at the World Cup while they were a Celtic player. Right. Um, they just have to have played for Celtic and also played at the World Cup. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the clues that I have. I have five clues. And you can tell me if you've guessed it right. before I finish the five clues. But we're not going to reveal the answer until the end of the show, okay?
4: All right, okay.
3: Okay, so if you're in the the chat, then guess away. I'm hoping that my clues aren't too obvious, but we'll see. Mm. Uh, Let's go for it. So, I was born in 1983. Doesn't narrow it down very much. Mm -hmm. I got as many caps for my country as I did appearances for Celtic. I made my debut for Celtic in a 4-2 victory over Dunfermline in the Scottish Cup. I got 10 caps for my national team. And here's the one that I think people will get it from. This is the last clue. Mm. Despite only getting 10 caps for my national team, I was a runner-up at a World Cup and appeared in the final. Who am I?
4: Yeah, I know that.
3: So I'm sure... I'm sure lots of people have got it. I've already seen it coming through in the chat. It's a little bit of fun. So um, we'll reveal it at the end of the show. But in the meantime, have at it and uh, see if you can find out who it is. I'm going to need to work harder according to the comments because I think people are getting it already. Um, Anyway...
4: I'm just worried if I can remember how to pronounce his name correctly. But
3: well, <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see, <laughs> and we might do a little bit of a chat then to see what you remember of the of the player concerned and his era at the club. Um, mm. Anybody who's guessed it already will know it wasn't a very um, wasn't a very uh, auspicious era for the club. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Anyway, Liam, um, before we go on to talk about the Sydney Cup, which is what we're here to talk about. Just wanted to get your thoughts as a relatively new member of the Axom team. Mm. The success of the club, uh, of the podcast, I should say, at the Football Content Awards the other night, we won gold again. Now, I know we've already gone on about it since we won uh, in yesterday's bulletin. Mm. But again, I would like to extend my thanks to everybody watching, to Paul John for for allowing us this platform and and allowing us to contribute to what's become such a successful um, podcast in its own right. What does it mean to you, Liam, to be part of this award-winning podcast? It's
4: it's an honour, and uh, it's kind of living the dream, actually, because I've been doing Celtic podcasts in one shape or another for uh, close to 10 years now. Um, started off with a, a show with a few, a few Celts down in Australia um, called uh, the uh, Half the World Away Celtic Podcast mm-hmm. back in 2013. Did I love that, that name, years. by the way.
3: That's a good one.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, excellent. Uh, that that was uh, the Kevin O'Neill and Pat Close and uh, uh, Martin were, were the three guys that I did that with. And uh, that that unfortunately work commitments meant we couldn't continue with that, so I moved on to doing uh, Celtic Down Under, as, as we're doing now. And uh, yeah, then we got involved with Axon, but throughout all that, for as long as Axon's been going, I've been following it. I was a fan of the show, and now I'm on the show, and that's that, that's quite a quite an, ast- an astonishing thing when i think about it really um and uh yeah you know all i'm saying is i joined the show and two months later we win a national award so paul john you want to give me that 10-year contract 100 grand a year i'm happy to sign it anytime soon
3: yeah yeah i have to say that the the multiple awards we won last year were absolutely nothing to do with it. And it was definitely Liam's addition that really tipped it over the edge. So uh, from on behalf of all of Axom, I want to say thank you, Liam, for for, for giving us your time.
4: Yes, what, what, what a tremendous honour it is, I imagine. No, the, the,
3: in, <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, the real thanks, both Liam and I would admit we play a very small part in this. Paul oh, yeah, John absolutely. is the... Is the is the driver behind all of it. So thank you to him. And most importantly, thank you to everybody watching this because it was your votes that got us this award and it's you that we do Hi. this show for. So thank you very much. Anyway. um, yeah. Shout I said, out to Natasha
4: getting the silver award as well. She did absolutely. really Absolutely.
3: Well. Natasha, not only on Axon, but across a, a number of outlets, uh, has been covering women's football and, be- and got an award for uh, silver in the best in women's football category. So congratulations to her. Um, I'm yeah. sure it won't be too long before she takes home the gold at some point. Oh, um,
4: I'm
3: sure. Yeah, Tony Cassidy <laughs> comes up with this one. Uh, it's all down to Liam's attire. <laughs> I'm sure it... Listen, there are not enough awards in the world to, 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 to benefit that <sighs> man. That's fantastic. Um, but anyway, um, the Sydney Cup, I have to say, Liam, you might be in a time zone better acclimatised to this potentially. Mm. I am not... So I haven't actually managed to see the Sydney Cup highlights or anything like that. I don't even know where to to get them. Um, Aye. But in a way, I was a little bit shocked to see that we lost. But then that's maybe me doing a disservice to the Australian A-League and the and the quality of the teams they're, they're in. Um, a lot of people coming out having positive things to say about Sydney FC. Did you see any of the highlights? What was your thoughts on hearing the result?
4: Yeah, well, first of all, I know he's, I know he's not listening because he doesn't speak English, but thanks to my boss yesterday for letting me go 10 minutes early so I could get home in time for kickoff.
3: Excellent, <laughs> excellent.
4: Um, uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I really was pleasantly surprised at what a competitive game it was. Um, mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Celtic, particularly in the first half, it was a, a weakened team. And more importantly, it was a group of players who, it was quite obvious, are not used to playing with each other particularly the defence, didn't seem to know where to go half the time. Uh, Bernabe in particular was frequently caught well out of position. Um, but but uh, Sydney were a breath of fresh air. It was really good to see a team for once come at Celtic and have a go and make a really good entertaining spectacle of a game. And you know what? They were worthy of the win in the end. I don't grudge them it at all. Um, I think this is a great vindication of the A League as Mm -hmm. uh, a football level that is quite often. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a big advocate for the J League. I think the J League is a fantastic league. It has produced some great players down the years, some of which are currently at Celtic. But also, it has the the competitiveness which other leagues don't because basically a different team wins the J-League every year. Mm -hmm. And I think the A-League is quickly ascending to that same level. I think the A-League, it's maybe not quite there yet, but I think in a year or two with the the continued development, the A-League will be as entertaining a spectacle and as as high a level of quality as the J-League. It may even surpass it. Um, do you know
3: it, it's interesting to get your perspective on this and we will get back to celtic in a second but just because because you're living in a different part of the world um and have a different perspective on it all i wonder if do, does the does the lack of quality across like the asian champions league hold back the the leagues themselves do you think because i know i know that a lot of the european leagues Benefit from this hallowed turf of the Champions League um, and, and getting to that level and striving to reach that level. I, I don't know. Does the Asian Champions League have that same cachet uh, amongst the domestic leagues in that part of the world?
4: Uh, no, it doesn't, and the, the, there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, um, in the the Asian Champions League context, you have basically Japanese teams, Korean teams, Australian teams, and Chinese teams. Those are the only ones that really have a realistic chance of winning it. So you've kind of got the same problem as Europe in the sense that you've got these four or five big nations in the, in the sense of the, the development of football that dominate. And that makes it less of a spectacle for anyone who's from any of the other countries that are watching. That is why, you know, when you look at for example, in the World Cup, you see squads like Saudi Arabia who do not have any overseas players. Um, and it's because their league has not developed to the extent that it needs to. And then, go, but going to the other extreme, you get China who, their club teams do alright in the Champions League, but they are utterly rank rotten at international level. Mm-hmm. And the main reason for that is because they are about Twenty years behind Japan in terms of the development of the league, because mm-hmm. Japan had the same problem initially. When the J League launched in 1993, it was mostly just a retirement home for foreign stars. Mm-hmm. You had Gary Lineker, Zico, Pierre Litbarsky, um, you know, numerous other great, great players in their day, but clearly passed their prime and went to Japan for one last payday. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, Lupo actually signed for Jeff United Chiba. Um, but when was that? He, I think it was after he left Celtic, but I don't know if he ever actually played for them. Um, it was a wow. bit of a weird contract situation, but uh, um, he was on the books of Jeff United for a brief period. Um, wow. But uh, now, as time's gone on, the Japanese have moved away from that and they actually have a, basically a five foreigners rule now, essentially where you can only have a maximum of five foreign nationals in your squad, um, which leads to greater development of Japanese players. Also leads to a lot of Brazilians and Koreans taking Japanese passports. But that's <laughs> um, I was uh, going to
3: say, I've seen a few Brazilians playing for the Japanese national team over the years. Yeah,
4: uh, but but you know, those guys, you have to be in Japan for at least five years to qualify for that. So they've earned yeah. that, right? You know,
3: Yeah. And um, uh, um, we've had this conversation before um, about uh, you know representing the country you want to represent it might not need to be the the, the country of your birth. So that that's fair enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I guess in a wider context, looking looking back at Celtic and the, 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 the Australia. Uh, sorry, sorry, was, Lord.
4: Just just to finish up my point. Yeah, there, sorry, on you that, sorry. The Chinese League is is still at that stage. Yes. Where they are a retirement home for past it. Uh, European players, and they haven't progressed beyond that. Now, the J-League progressed beyond that within about five years. China hasn't yet because there's too much money and not enough effort. They think that if they just keep throwing money at it, it's going to magically produce this generation of brilliant Chinese players. And the thing is, once it clicks for them, China will probably within the next 50, 60 years win the World Cup because just on sheer population numbers, once enough of them start playing football, they're going to produce a world-class team.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, if, a, if a country the size of the Netherlands can produce the kind of uh, football and pedigree that they have, uh, I know they haven't won the World Cup, but if they can produce the kind of football and pedigree that they have, then I'm sure a country the size of China can, they probably could have 10 or 20 teams' worth of players that could do that. So and it'll uh, be interesting to see, but... um Focusing back on Celtic and focusing on on uh, the Sydney Cup, I know we I know we discussed this issue uh, in the in the run up to it and and back when it was announced. Um, But now that it's here, now that you're seeing some of the publicity that's coming out, you know the the New South Wales Governor or whoever it was, you know, getting pictures taken with the Celtic team talking about the amount of money that it's bringing into the local economy. I guess my question is. Ignoring the, well, we'll we'll start with the we'll start with the footballing side of things. What what can hmm. Celtic hope to learn from this particular out into Australia? Is there anything footballing wise they can take from it?
4: Nah, no really. To be honest, not really. Um, it's during the World Cup, so we we have our we have a weakened squad because our best players are at the World Cup. Um, we are there in an ambassadorial capacity. We're there to thank the Australian support for backing us and backing Ange. We are there to hopefully bring in some new supporters who Mm. buy into the brand, maybe learn what Celtic are about and think, yeah, I'll have some of that. Um, And we're also there just to spread goodwill and to to help out the, the local economy over there and, of course, celtic themselves will make a sizable few quid out of it as well and everybody wins basically apart from us on the football pitch
3: yeah well that, that was the, that was the other uh sort of thing i was going to ask about the commercial side of things you, you talk mm. about them mo- and, and the money has been uh like forced down the throats of people i think in australia about what that's going to bring in for them but is there any financial benefit to Celtic doing this, do you think? Is it, is it a drop in the ocean compared to what they could have, or is there going to be a real tangible financial and commercial benefit to to doing this uh, either this year or, or in
4: years to come? That remains to be seen, and this speaks to a wider problem which I'm actually in the process of penning an article about at the moment, coming soon to a magazine near you. Um, Interesting. It's... Uh, it's um, the idea that Celtic did uh not quite on the same scale as the Sydney Cup, but they did a game in Japan not long after Shinsuke Nakamura signed. They played a uh, Yokohama friendly. Now everybody's it's, it's very time...
3: it's very common nowadays um as part of a transfer of a of a player for for a friendly to be arranged as part of that transfer. I know the first time I ever heard of it was with George Cadet back um mm-hmm. when he left sporting to come to Celtic um, but it seems to be more and more common these days
4: well it's, I mean it's because Celtic have a global fan base you know that if you book Celtic to come and play you're guaranteed to get at least probably 15-20 thousand fans wherever mm-hmm. you're playing in the world right Yeah. Um, but the the thing with uh Uh, The the thing with the the Nakamura one. At the time, there were all these headlines saying like, oh, this is going to open up whole new markets for Celtic and Celtic shirts will be everywhere in Japan. And, um, you know, some of Celtic's commercial staff at the time were kind of bumping their gums about how they were going to take Japan by storm. Um, Never happened. Mm. Never happened. There was. To this day, the only way I can get official Celtic merchandise is either by paying about five times the price on Amazon Japan or ordering it from the club website and waiting for about three weeks for it to get here and then paying almost the same again in import ch- charges. Thank you, mm. Brexit. <laughs> um, but uh, that's, uh, you know, Celtic, if they. And I don't want to get down on criticising the club and being a, a you know a Mr Negative whatever. Go for
3: it, go for it.
4: No, but if if they approach the Australian operation with the same utter incompetence they've approached the Japan operation so far, they won't make a penny out of it. It'll end up costing them money.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a. What, here's here? Let's get into the nitty gritty of it, right? Celtic right. concerned, other teams concerned. I guess I guess my, my concern about it is I've seen so many teams and it, and it's become more prevalent in, I would say, the last five years. Mm. Teams going to Asia, teams going to Australia, teams going to, to South America or whatever. Mm. And especially in the case of, of the Premier League, and I remember a, a Milan derby in China, uh, playing against teams that they are domestically up against i know man united and liverpool have played games in australia in the last few years in thailand and things like that Mm. (sighs) am i too cynical in thinking it's a bit
2: mobile phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox
1: not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: It's 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 such a cash grab that it can't even be hidden. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, it's so cynical, or is that just me being an entitled football fan living in the Western world, trying to gatekeep these teams because they're 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 where I can easily see them.
4: No, look, it is a cash grab. I mean, but but at the end of the day, every football match is a cash grab in essence because ticket prices are far too expensive, no matter what game you go to see at whatever level, right? Um, The whole twenties plenty campaign of a couple of years ago, I think, was a a good initiative, and it's just disappointing that it never gained traction. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, to to put it in a Japan context, a couple of years ago, um, Chelsea and Barcelona played one of those kind of like glamour ties in um, in Saitama, which is a couple of hours south of here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Messi put in his token 20 minute appearance. Um, all the Chelsea big names were there because it was the close season and there wasn't a World Cup that year or whatever. Um, and then, you know, later on, Man City did a similar thing. I went to see Man City play Yokohama when Ange was the manager, actually, of Yokohama.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and uh, that and that was a you know that was a great game, but all three of those clubs Barcelona, Chelsea, and Man City, the game was just one portion of a much wider marketing initiative to break into the Japanese market. Yeah. Within about a quarter mile of the stadium, you had stalls everywhere selling official merch for. You know, a couple of weeks after that they announced partnerships with their respective brands in Tokyo. So like the the Nike shop in Tokyo was now carrying Chelsea and Barcelona kits. Mm. The uh you know, the um uh Puma, I think it is the sponsor of Man City. They Mm -hmm. announced that they were gonna be selling Man City merchandise in their Japanese stores and through Amazon Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, Celtic as far as I'm aware have not announced any similar initiative in Australia and they certainly haven't announced anything like that in Japan um, the games are just part of the part of a much bigger picture mm-hmm. and it really annoys me because I, I teach I teach uh, primary school kids in, in my job right mm-hmm. and here we don't really have uniforms the Wayans can wear whatever they want right and every time I see a kid wearing a Barcelona shirt or a man city shirt, or a Liverpool shirt, or a Chelsea shirt. I think, but for us spending a few quid on marketing, that could and should be a Celtic top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, I, and that really annoys me. To be quite honest,
3: and I have to say, from the Japanese perspective, the the, the, the Nakamura uh, and to some extent Koki Mizuno presence was an opportunity. They will never, they will never have a bigger opportunity than now. They've got three superstar Japanese players playing in the Celtic team, and they have one of those players representing Japan at the World Cup while he is a Celtic player. There will be no bigger opportunity, but it remains to be seen if they can if they can make the most out of that. Um, looking at the rest of the uh, 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 of the World Cup break for Celtic. Mm. We don't, as far as I'm aware, beyond the Sydney Cup have, have many fixtures scheduled, um if any at all. Do you think do you think that's a missed opportunity? Do you think there's a possibility to, to, to you know more regularly put fixtures in? It didn't need to be as crammed as like a domestic calendar would have been, but certainly there'll be other clubs I'm sure and other players who Who are not going to the World Cup. Who will need to be kept fit. Would you have expected to see more. By the way of uh, even closed door games. Or do you think that's maybe going on. Without us knowing.
4: Well I mean for example. Next week uh, Roma. Are playing two friendlies in Japan. Uh Um, So. It's uh, you know. It's I think what is it. 16 17 hour flight from Glasgow. To Australia right. But from Australia up to Japan is only about eight or nine hours. Mm-hmm. So it's the same as, like, if Celtic were going to play, I don't know, a team in Kazakhstan or something, right? It's like a, It's like one of those long-distance European ties. But why couldn't they maybe take a week and do a training camp on Australia, then come up to Japan and play a game, then head back to Scotland? It's, it's basically on the way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would have really given them a chance to to, to have market penetration in both both areas.
3: Yeah, that, um, that's that's fair. Um, our the underwater cabbage salesman comes in and says, um, "Next season, Laura, is most likely for a Japan trip. Do you agree with that? Do you see that happening? I think I think they need that. The, there's two key factors to to a potential Japan trip for Celtic. One is. I think the, the way for it to have maximum impact is to be done while they've still got um, Maeda, Furuhashi, Hitate and Idaguchi all at the club. But also, a key to that is going to be that Ange is still at the club because Ange mm-hmm. has got, perhaps, I don't know, you're you better place to say than me, but as big, if not a bigger following than those players in Japan because of his work with Yokohama. Um, and, and perhaps The idea of going to see a Celtic team For a Japanese fan Is not as enticing If Ange isn't the manager And I say that thinking that We will be lucky If Ange stays with us Probably another couple of years
4: Well you know I can directly relate to that Because back in August I was down in the uh, the, J- the Japan Football Museum in Tokyo mm-hmm. And I had my, my new Celtic top on With uh, Dyson To name a number on the back Right because he used to play for my local team here mm-hmm. and the staff at the museum came up and spoke to me in in japanese but she said uh oh i see you've got celtic shirt on now she saw that it had you know daizen on the back of it right and she was like celtic Postecoglou." Mm-hmm. didn't mention daizen didn't mention kyogo didn't mention hatati she was like Postecoglou because she was a yokohama marinos fan and she said, yeah, that guy is basically, he's a god to us because he won us our first championship in years. Mm-hmm. And he did it basically from nowhere because Yokohama were a mid-table team when, when, when Ange came in. Yeah. yeah.
3: It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a, an interesting factor and it was something that I thought to myself when I when I was considering, you know, I, I'm surprised they've not booked some sort of trip to Japan already, but if they're going to, it surely needs to be... It uh, surely needs to be with with Ange at the helm. Um, Magnet sixty seven comes in and says that my player was too easy. I fear it was, um, but <laughs> you you've all got me riled up. Next Friday it will not be so easy. So we'll, we'll yeah. wait and see. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about today. Uh, I'm just going to pull up here. Um, Aaron Moy has been speaking to to the Herald ahead of his um trip to Qatar for the World Cup to represent Australia. Um. Along with uh, along with Maeda, he is another Celtic player in the current squad, along with um, Josip Juranovic for Croatia, who is going to be representing uh, their country at the World Cup as well as um, Cameron Carter-Vickers for the USA. But Aaron Moy was talking to the Herald and talking about how much he's benefited out of, of his move to Celtic. And I just wanted to, to, to read a little bit out of what he said. Um so it was a tough time when I was training in a local park in the summer. I was back home from China with my family and so there were positives there, but I wasn't playing much football. But then I'm joined Celtic and I'm loving it here. I'm going to the World Cup. It's fair to say Celtic is one of the best moves I've ever made. It's just an amazing club and the fans are incredible. It's a demanding club, but you want to be testing yourself in these kinds of situations. Playing for a big club is demanding and I just want to give my best. I joined Celtic later in the summer. And I agree with the manager when he said, I can only get stronger in the season. Uh, As a professional footballer, that's what you want to do. You always want to improve. And he goes on to talk about how playing in the Champions League has potentially helped him prepare for the World Cup and the rigours of that and and all that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, A little bit of a discussion before we talk about the, the, the wider aspects of what he's talked about there. Aaron Moy in and of himself, how much of a... How much of a positive influence has he been on Celtic as much as, as Celtic has been on him? Because I know he's not always get the, the the most positive feedback or or in glowing terms. He he's a bit of a slow player. He plays a little bit differently to what you would expect of an Ange team. But I I would say overall, when I when I look at it from from a bird's eye view, I think he's probably had a bet, a, a more positive impact than negative one since he came to Celtic. Do you agree with that?
4: Well. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually paraphrase something that uh, Zinedine Zidane actually said once. Um, okay. He was talking about when he played for Real Madrid, and he said um, he said for every player like myself, there needs to be a Claude Makélélé who does the hard work, so we can do the fancy stuff. And I think that's kind of what Aaron Moy is doing. He's doing the simple things and doing them really well, which mm. frees up. Hatate and Kyogo and Jota to do the more and Hakzabanevich more recently to do the, the fancier stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, every team needs that kind of uh, steady hand in the midfield, and I think Moy really, really gives us that. It's uh, it. It's, I, I I'll be honest. I was not sure when when we signed him. I thought he was. I thought he was too slow for and just very fast and very aggressive style of play. Mm -hmm. But again, it's about how you fit into a system. And Ange obviously knows his team far better than we do. And he saw that Aaron Moy was a a, a missing piece of the puzzle. And the longer the season goes on, particularly with Callum McGregor getting injured, that is playing out more. You're seeing what a valuable asset a guy like Moy is. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, our squad profile we skew towards sort of twenty-five years old and under, so having yeah. that that older head on the pitch as well is of benefit to to the entire team. I think.
3: Yeah, I, w- I would certainly agree with that. I think he, um, I think he definitely doesn't do the glamorous things. But if there's one thing that I've learned as far as having Ange as the as the manager is, for all I think, one way. More often than not, if I disagree with Angie, he goes on to prove you wrong. He, he, there's a reason why he's picked Moy. I, I guess I was just surprised at him being involved because to me, he's the antithesis of everything that an Ange player is. But I guess that's the whole point of him being there is to offer that difference and offer that common uh, influence off the bench that sometimes we do need. Um, it's the one downside of the of the early part of Ange's Celtic career was you just felt we were a bit um, frantic in the way that we did things and perhaps that he he might be that common influence that we need.
4: Well, you think I think of another more recent example, right? And, <laughs> excuse me, excuse my language, I'm going to invoke the name of a, of a, of a Rangers player here. Um, Reno Gattuso playing for Italy at the mm-hmm. 2006 World Cup, right? Now, he was surrounded by guys like Perlo, and, you know, real class acts um on on the football field. He was not a classy player, right? You cannot tell me Rino Gattuso was a classy player. He wasn't. He was a he was a, a grafter and he was a bit of a thug when he had to be. But mm. he was what Italy needed in the in that midfield at that time. And every team needs that player who is not about the flair, he's about getting the job done. You know? Even the world champions need that type of player in their team. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Um Fuji's uh Tonner says Moy's very calm on the ball and can pick a pass, great signing in my opinion. So yeah, listen, nobody's gonna like every single player that plays in a Celtic shirt. Nobody's gonna dislike any single player um in a Celtic shirt. I guess in this occasion, you just choose to see the positives where they are, and I think Moy definitely brings those. Um, and I think he's been, uh, I think he's been, like I said, more of a positive signing than than anything else for Celtic. Um, looking at the wider points of what he was talking about to to the Herald, the fact that
1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: It feels like the level that's been offered to him at Celtic, the demanding nature of the club, the Champions League football, the... the... The fact that playing at that higher level has has put him in good stead for going to the World Cup. How important is that, do you think, to to continue to attract new players going going forward? The the constant appearances in the Champions League and and the demands that that brings with it.
4: Well, I mean it's the it, it's the perfect advert. Um, you look at somebody like Aaron Moy. And and I mean absolutely no disrespect to the guy, but compare that to Tom Rogic. Mm. Now, Aaron Moy came to Celtic, knowing he wasn't guaranteed to start every game. Worked his socks off, got into the squad, did well, got back into the Australia team, did well, and now he's at the World Cup. Tom Rogic mm. decided that it was time to move on. Um, took far too long to find another club couldn't break into the team and now is uh, an outcast in the national team mm-hmm. and you know it's it's sad but we we may never see tom Rogic play top level international football again yeah and it's you know i wonder if he looks back and and sees what aaron moy is saying and thinks hmm maybe maybe i left celtic a wee bit too soon <laughs>
3: Well, the, the, the Tom Rogage situation, and I'm quite happy to go off on this t- tangent with you, Tom Rogage, Rogage situation is one of the strangest I've ever come across. I mm. I would love to pick Jared's brains on this, particularly because he'll be better placed probably than either of us to discuss it. But yeah, my understanding from from discussions that I had with people who are much more in the know than me was that Tom Rogic and his, his young family had, had spent enough time away from home and were were leaving Scotland essentially to go back and settle in Australia where he was going to play out the last couple of years of his career and then do whatever he was going to do after football. And here you're in a situation where he's ended up coming back to Britain playing for West Bromwich Albion who I would, I would guess would not have been a, a, a destination. He would have picked off the bat over remaining at Celtic. I mean, hmm. I, I, and certainly one that's possibly contributed to him not getting into the World Cup squad, where you might say if he'd stayed at Celtic and played under Ange in this particular team, he would be going to that World Cup. What's your a- opinion on the Tom Rogage situation and how that's come about? It's one of the strangest things I think I've ever seen.
4: Well That's an interesting thing. You know, people... Some people were slagging off the quality of the opposition in Sydney FC last night, but they have players going to the World Cup. Um, Mm -hmm. And dare I say, if Tom Rogic had joined a team like that, he might well be going as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not necessarily about the, the level of league that you play in. It's about the game time you get, and it's about the displays that you put on. I mean, case in point, right? Kyogo versus Dyson, right? Mm-hmm. Dyson plays much better for the for the Japan national team than he does for Celtic, yeah. Because he's utilized in a much more effective position, right? So the Japan manager goes on, "How does he play when he plays for me? Mm-hmm. As long as he's in the Celtic squad and he's playing regularly, that's enough." Yeah, it's about what he does when he plays for Japan. Now to flip that the other way, Kyogo has been sensational at Celtic. Hasn't really done it for Japan. Mm-hmm. And in the very very limited time that he had, I think it was twenty minutes in, in one friendly match, Rio Hatate didn't really do anything either. Um, which is not fair to him. I think in the fullness of time he will force his way into the Japan squad, because there's a, there's a couple of midfielders are going to chuck it after this World Cup, so he'll the, the gaps will open up there and Hatate will step in. But yeah. It's all about how players perform at the national team and before Rogic left Celtic he'd had issues with the national team already because he dropped out of a couple of very important games mm-hmm. and it wasn't due to injury, it was due to him not being in the right frame of mind for it, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to disparage or comment on anyone's mental health issue that I don't know about because I don't know what's going on in his head and I'm not. it's not my my place to try and speculate, but The fact of the matter is that, coupled with him leaving Celtic, coupled with him taking far too long to find another club, coupled with him going to a very obscure club that is not going to really get you noticed as much as playing in the Champions League or playing in the Australian Domestic League would, um, he pretty much self-sabotaged his chances of going to the World Cup, I think.
3: Mm Mm-hmm um well, uh, daniel F. quite rightly points out uh, let's also remember he's going through some personal things rogić that is now uh, i don't i don't know the nature of those we're just we're just uh, talking here about the about the football and impact and so um uh yeah so uh, it's fair enough to to take all that into account and it's maybe an indication that as much as as mental health situations have become less taboo over the years, we're still not over that particular hurdle, and it still negatively impacts people a lot more than than we would like to suggest in terms of the perception of them as as players. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't um, question his inability to play for his country if he had a broken leg, but the but the mental aspect of things doesn't get the same amount of respect. So, all the best to him for for the future and wherever that takes him.
4: Yeah, if, um, if anything I said there came across as condescending or insulting to Tom, I, I apologise because that was not my intention.
3: No, I don't I don't think I, he did.
4: I, I just I, think that the way things came together, it was a perfect storm to mean that he wouldn't go to this World Cup yeah, through, through uh, no fault of his own.
3: No, I think I think that was clear. We just uh, I just thought Daniel raised a, a good point, and it was good to yeah. good to clarify that. So um, we're going to spend the last fifteen minutes. I was going to say talking about something a little bit more fun, but. Bearing in mind the player we're about to talk about, uh, it's probably not going to be too fun. So for anybody watching who was here at the start of the show, let me just pull up the clues that I had. Um, we're doing, I guess, the Celt World Cup version for the World Cup. So it's Edson Braffy. I was born in 1983. I got as many uh, caps for my country as I did appearances for Celtic. I made my debut for Celtic in a 4-2 victory over the in in the Scottish Cup. I got 10 caps for my national team. And despite only getting ten caps for my national team, I was a runner-up in a World Cup and appeared in the final. I would, I would love to know, and maybe a stato out there, maybe Alan Morrison or very own Alan Morrison, if you're watching, I would love to know if there's a player with less caps for their country who's appeared in a World Cup final. It can't, there can't be many, but uh, this is this is the man right here. Who I'll just show you. Uh, Edson Bravo is the gentleman concerned and that's him in the World Cup final itself uh, taking on a certain Andres Iniesta who has his own links to Celtic now that now that uh, Kyogo is playing for us um Liam i have to say Edson Braffite played for Celtic uh, in a loan spell that lasted 10 matches in the 2009-10 season um was brought in by none other than a certain Tony Mowbray to play for the club and I've maintained I was still a season ticket ticket holder at the time. I've maintained that that single season prior to Dubai Gate and everything that happened with Liam uh, with Liam with Neil Lennon's
4: uh, departure. Everything <laughs>
3: um, Prior to prior to Neil Lennon's departure, the, the Tony Mowbray season was perhaps the worst season I've had as a Celtic supporter. And Edson Brathwaite in my head kind of encompasses that. Is that an unfair statement to make? Is that too much
4: to put on it his shoulders? It in the sense that he had an absolute shocker at Celtic, but then went on to play in a World Cup final. So, clearly <laughs> he was a player, right? As as were several of the members of the Celtic squad at that time, mm-hmm. who were shocking for us, but went on to be very successful elsewhere. Um, yeah, I think Brafide was one symptom of a of a plague that was seeping through the entire club at the time. To be quite honest,
3: yeah, it's it's um, it it was a strange time because it was. I I don't know how to describe it with Tony Mowbray, but it was just like I've never, I've never, I've never had a period as a Celtic supporter where I was more convinced of the number of games that we would lose, in a in a season do you know what I mean you,
4: you and yet, to- even Tony Mowbray himself he's had success at other clubs before and after Celtic Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not he alone is not necessarily the problem here I think it was just the wrong type of manager for Celtic the wrong time for him to go to Celtic yeah. and some very very poor choices in terms of personnel that were brought in and allowed to leave
3: yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty crazy to think back on that time. Um, Edson Braffite, looking at him specifically, I mean, he, he, he let's not forget we we loaned him from from Bayern Munich. It wasn't as if it was it was an absolute unknown in the World Cup landscape uh, in the footballing landscape. He was. Uh... There was no reason for us to think he would be as much of a flop as he was, but he only made 12 appearances for Bayern Munich on top of the 10 appearances for us um, and never played more than 35 games for any other team between between then and his eventual retirement in, in, in 2020. He is apparently, according to Wikipedia, playing for somebody called Pam Beach Stars, um, but I don't know that we would call that a legitimate level of football.
4: <laughs> well, to, I don't know. It very sounds easy. like
3: a nice place to play, to be fair. <laughs> um um I, the, the other thing I was going to ask on the back of that though. Um I remember around that time specifically I, I, and for a number of years since um loans of that type being a feature of Celtic's business and the way that we mm. did things is that is that a good way of doing business to you, leaning so heavily on the loan market when you're Celtic? Or, or do you like what we're doing now, which I think is leaning more towards the permanent
4: signings? Uh, I prefer permanent signings, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I'm going to give a wee personal anecdote here. My you're view fit. of Celtic signing people on loan is quite... Heavily tainted by a very negative encounter I had with one of our loan signings. Um,
3: Oh, are you going to name and shame?
4: Yes, I am. Go for it. Right. Um, When Robbie Keane came to Celtic. (laughs) Now, I just want to say I am not questioning his abilities as a footballer. As a footballer, he is one of the best that Ireland has ever produced. Yes. As a man... He is a completely detestable little cretin. Um, we got invited to the... Well, sorry, rather, we bought a table at the Celtic Player of the Year dinner that year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you recall, that was not a great year, right? Correct. Didn't, right. So... I believe, was but, that, not t- that wasn't Tony Mowbray's year, was it? I I, I don't, It was pretty close to that time. I don't know if it was exactly on that time. But anyway,
3: uh-huh, uh-huh.
4: we had not had a great year. So, naturally, at the Player of the Year dinner, things were a bit muted, right? But the, the, the players, to give them their due, were making the effort to go out of their way to talk to people, to pose for 40s, to sign autographs, anything you wanted was mm-hmm. was there, right? Because they realised they owed the fans because of what we'd had to put up with that season. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Keane made a token about 20-minute appearance And then started swearing at me when I asked if I could take take a picture with him. Right. Uh, He then started swearing at these two little boys who asked for an autograph to the point one of them was in tears before storming off in a huff. Um, I don't know who pissed in his chips that night, but, uh, you know, he was obviously very unhappy with something. But um, he had absolutely no right to take Now, he wants to shout at me, a a half-cut bloody, you know, Egypt in a, a penguin suit asking for a 40 fine right i can take that but two wee kids having their yeah. idol reducing them to tears no not on yeah
3: not, not on not not great and uh given the given the manner in which we started the show uh <laughs> talking <laughs> about the you know charitable effects of of positive aspects for children um, it's not a it's not my, a, a great tone to strike, no.
4: I guess my overriding point is that when you have loan signings, you invite mercenaries. True. And whenever true. I think of mercenaries, my mind goes to that wee rat Robbie Keane.
3: Right. Um, so. An interesting wee but actually, <laughs> now that I'm just looking up while you were regaling the, the crowd with that story. Um... <laughs> He actually scored his first goal for Celtic in the same four-two victory over Dunfermline. That Edson Braffite made his debut, and so it was. There you
4: go. It, it, was,
3: was a the, it was the same team. It was the same year. It was all the same. Oh, um, I'm disappointed good. to hear that because I have to say, my brother and I <laughs> uh, traipsed down to Celtic Park for the ten or ten-thirty PM. Uh, announcement of his signing I remember it well Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so disappointing Uh, to hear that you've had uh, not so great an experience with him. How many kids did he swear
4: at that night? (laughs) (laughs) No
3: no comment no comment whatsoever Uh, I can't I
4: can't
3: I can't attest to the positive or negative natures of his character so um (laughs) Uh, with that said, I think we'll probably call it a day there. Um, it's been a it's been an interesting one though, plenty to discuss. Even though there's not a lot going on in the Celtic world at the moment, um, mm. please do make sure though to to, to tune in to Axom, uh every weekday for the bulletin and throughout the weekend for extra extra content. There might not be a lot of games on at the moment, but we will do our best to um, continue the content with you if you've got anything you would like to see us do then please let us know in the comments or on the socials any, any seasons you would like us to discuss any um, aspects of the current day club that you would like us to discuss we are open to ideas during this this world cup shutdown and um, while, while uh, goings on at Celtic Park are, um, are quiet um, any last
4: words Liam from you? Um, no, I'm just going to say, the um, you know, World Cup kicks off this weekend, and I know that for various reasons, some people are going to watch it, some people are not, um, but just a more general point, I just want to say that football is football, politics is politics, often those intermingle, and I accept that, if you don't want to watch this World Cup, that's fine, good for you, you do that, I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to enjoy it, but... I do not in any way condone or support what the Qatari government is doing to various people of various minority groups.
3: I think that's fair to say and I think that would be echoed by myself and most of the people watching this show. So um, with that in mind, uh, we will see you next week when we will be deep in the thick of World Cup football and we'll certainly be talking about the impact of current Celtic players. Hopefully Dyson Maeda will have made a positive impact. Hopefully hopefully Cameron Carter-Vickers, hopefully uh, Juranovic, and hopefully, who am I missing? Aaron Moy is the other one. Uh, and
4: if, I, if I mysteriously disappeared next week, well, someone needs to look into Robbie Keane's Yakuza connections. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, thank you, Liam. All the best to our boys at the World Cup. We will be watching with bated breath. Um, and Juranovic, if you and your Croat uh, compatriots can bring home the win, then that'll get me a tidy wee sum from the from the family sweepstake. Liam, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining me. Everybody yes. will see you a bit again very soon.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty